Welcome to the Jerry T Podcast. I am once again joined by Matt Costa. Dave is still out on paternity leave, but I have pretty good news on that front. Uh, his daughter was born last weekend, I think on Friday, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, it was Friday or Saturday. I don't know. But uh, did get some pictures. Everyone looked very happy, very healthy. And that is awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, very, very excited for them. Um, it was uh, daughter was born under snowy circumstances. So uh, they ended up coming home from the hospital a little early, I think, and just settling in. I saw a couple pictures of Dave's son already holding the baby. So sounds like everything's going great. Oh, I did not get that picture. We'll have to we'll have to float that one around. Yeah, that sounds adorable. Uh, also, on the news front, we are recording this a little bit late uh, on Thursday, and I guess it is convenient that we do. Star City posted like a random news thing today that is uh, they get to host all of the 2024-2025 and 2025-2026 U.S. regional championships. Yeah, very. I mean, I, I'm personally excited. You know, I, I played Magic on the East Coast, so I've been to so many Star City tournaments over the years. I've watched them successfully run big opens, but also, you know, big Grand Prix with a couple thousand people. And so, um, you know, and they were always good at sort of the local store support with the IQ system, too. So I, I feel like this is going to be uh, a good thing for the RC system. I'm excited about it. True. I, I think so too. Like Star City is very good at running events and also very receptive to feedback if something's like clearly not working. And I I think this is overall a, a good thing. I mean, I like DreamHack as a thing that happens, but I don't necessarily want it happening at the same time as my magic tournament. You know, it's like if I want to go to a DreamHack, I would go there. But if I am at a magic thing, I want to do the magic stuff. Um, so it being at DreamHack wasn't that big of a draw to me. And it also just made it kind of awkward in a lot of ways where it's like, you know, you have to buy badges, you have to wait in line with other people that aren't even necessarily going to your event and stuff. And uh, certainly the events were not run as smoothly as an SCG one is. So Overall, I, I like this. I think this is good, at least in terms of like the player experience for folks who are qualifying for the RCs and actually playing in these events. Yeah, I would like to think so. You know, I don't I don't I'm not super plugged into the nitty gritty or anything, but obviously SCG has a long standing track record of working with judges too. And I think that, you know, lack of judge support seems to me like kind of one of the bigger issues plaguing DreamHack. And so, you know, I think if SCG is able to to staff up their events with a bunch of good judges who are incentivized to come because they know that the company that they're working for is going to do right by them, then hopefully, hopefully that helps things just overall run more smoothly. That would be excellent. I would love that. Uh other than that, I mean, there there isn't a whole lot in this announcement, but I think that is to be expected given that it only starts mattering pretty far out. 
Uh, so their first one is, I think, the last one of 2024. Is that what it said? Yeah, it's, uh, I think, Washington, D.C. in like early October um, yeah. is the first one they're running. So I guess presumably qualifiers for that start like, what, May, June, something like that. Yeah, in that area for sure. So that's good. Also, D.C., I'm pretty close. So I'm mad about that. Yeah, that's that's a good one. That's a good one for us East Coasters. Really easy to get to. Um, also, I mean, as compared to running running a big tournament in you know closer to SCG headquarters, like a pretty easy place to fly to if someone's coming from further away. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what other locations they end up being now they're not tied to DreamHack. Uh, that could be both good and bad, you know? Maybe we get some uh, regional championship Valley Forge Casino. I think that's the the low-hanging fruit, but whatever. I don't know. DC's a good one to kick it off. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's it has been a while since I've been to the Indianapolis Convention Center, and I, I I have a seeking suspicion that one of those might be on the horizon again. Fair. I mean, I don't think that's bad. I like indie well enough. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, no, that's not a, that's not a complaint. It, you know, it that was an event site. I feel like I ended up at once or twice a year for a really long time. Um, yep. And and you know when I when I think of playing grand prix or playing star city tournaments like that is that is one of the venues that i'm picturing in my head yeah it's been a while for me but it's also been a while since i've really been anywhere you know (laughs) so uh soon i'm sure i will be back very soon but other than that uh standard rcq season i believe officially started last weekend but your first one is this weekend yeah yeah i'm playing playing a standard rcq on sunday um we were talking a little bit about it before we hopped on the pod it's at uh, a relatively new store in my area that um luckily i signed up but it looks like they've hit their player cap i don't know how many players that is um but i'm expecting this one to be a little bit on the smaller side compared to to some of the ones I'm used to playing out here. Yeah, it's not bad. And I don't know, we're looking at the Google images for the store. It looks pretty nice too. So always a good surprise. Yeah. It's in it's in a it's in a mall somewhat somewhat near my house that I'm I'm familiar with. So uh you know, plenty of plenty of good stuff to do around there and food and everything. Um so yeah, I'm excited and uh it it really is standard season. You know, Gix is forty dollars, and uh, I think I think that tells you everything you need to know about the fact that people are actually playing standard. Yeah, I almost don't believe it. I was I was kind of like coping with you earlier, where I was like, "Well, it does have some like commander friendly rules text on it. Like maybe it isn't exactly standard that's doing it or whatever." But I think you might be right. I think I think people do you actually care i saw you know people like actually talking about standard on twitter which is bizarre and definitely a a change uh it's it's been so long man it's been like 4 years since i've seen that and yeah we're getting like standard info like 
metagame representation and people are writing articles and I'm seeing uh, decklist photos for people that won their RCQs and stuff. And it is wild. Yeah, maybe a bit early, but I don't know. It feels like nature's healing a little bit. I've I've always been a big fan of standard. Um, you know, that was that was the constructed format that was kind of the most in vogue when I first started playing FMs and PTQs. You know, that was kind of like on the tail end of extended being a thing, like right right around when they switched extended from being sort of the larger format to like what did they go down to like four or five blocks at one point um yeah and so standard standard was really what people were playing so that's it's you know the the format that i grew up playing i you know i had a lot of success in it and various different standard formats and so um i'm excited uh and i think it it presents a very different set of like meta game and deck building challenges than what people are used to with with bigger card formats like Modern and Pioneer. Yeah, and I I thought it was going to be bad, but I think it's good. Matt played a little bit more. Uh, well, like me independently this last week, and then you and I together a little bit before the podcast and stuff. And I don't know, just like. Talking to people about it, uh, it seems like Domain Ramp, very beatable. Uh, Blue-Black deck is getting, I I would say, mostly good reviews. I've definitely heard some bad reviews, though, too. Um, but other than that, there's, there's like the Rakdos stuff, and we can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but what are you looking to play? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to play Domain Ramp. Um... Which, you know, and what on the one hand is a little bit of a cop out. Uh, on the other hand, I bought all the cards for it. Um, I I also think that there is interestingly the way to build the domain ramp deck feels like to me it coalesced very quickly into everyone playing essentially the same sixty and. I think there's a lot more deck building opportunity than sort of the concentration in the list that we're seeing. Um, the one conviction I have that's really strong, and I know you do as well, is that um, domain ramp decks should be playing Tidebinders themselves. I have two main and two in the sideboard right now, but I, I think you you want four copies in the 75. I agree. Uh, it is certainly your best card in mirror matches when everyone has access to Cavernous Souls. It is probably your best card against the Rakdos decks uh, that are very good against you. And like, to be clear, that is the rampy one, not the like tenacious underdog kind of beat down one. And then there are just like other applications for it too. And this is new season uh relatively new set has just come out but also this is the first time people have really looked at this format especially the general populace like the first time they've ever had a reason to and rcqs notoriously can just have like a bunch of random stuff and tie binder specifically is very good against random stuff 
Yeah. And I, I think something that I hadn't really appreciated until I started playing with it is that it is like also just a really convenient card to curve into Invasion of Zendikar. Um sure. I had a couple I had a couple games recently where I, I played the Tidebinder for like very minimal value on turn three, untapped, played an invasion, attacked it with my three two, and then all of a sudden have like a really strong, solid board state from that point. Um just it fits really well in the curve and uh obviously it's it's great in the mirror um and it's it's also good against in the really long games against people who have their own tide binders as a way to protect your things from tide binding true uh other than that do you have any sense of like what specific plans you want to have in any of the popular matchups? Because I, I think that that is sort of where I'm struggling now. It's like, okay, we got to Tidebinder is good. And then also, you know, some weird uh, main deck stuff that I'm trying, which I'm not quite sure about. But uh, in terms of like building a sideboard and actual cohesive plans, like I still haven't necessarily figured that stuff out yet. So where are you on that? Yeah, I think I think there's a couple... A couple of things. One is that the deck needs a a real form of card advantage for post board games. You know, a lot of decks have ways to interact with the Traxa, whether it's discard or tie binders. And so as a result, you can't really just rely on that to eventually dig you out of the card advantage hole um so you know i think one a card that you and i are both particularly interested in is treasure map um but you know tossed around the idea of shadow prophecy as well and so i i think that's an important an important thing to have um you know i think one of the other conclusions that i've been coming to is that i've played a reasonable amount against mono red and I see a lot of people who have obstinate Bailoth, which at first didn't look so good to me. But the more that I've played that matchup, it feels like you very often get to a point where you give them a one turn window to like burn you out. And just having more Bailoths and Angels to kind of get you back up to five or seven life or whatever so they don't have an opportunity to do that feels like an important way to play those matchups so i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna make sure to have access to some obstinate bailoffs uh for for that matchup how does bailoff compare to say like most of the magic online list for example you'll see four knockout blows in the sideboard right do you feel like you need that on top of all the knockout blows? And do you feel like if you had access to a lot of temporary lockdown type of stuff, would you necessarily need all that life gain? I think, I think that you just get to that point, even if you have a bunch of interactive stuff, because so many of your lands come into play tapped. Yeah. That's that. Right. No, no matter even the draws where you're able to like play a card that matters on two and play a card that matters on three 
it's still, especially if you're on the draw, like you are going to get to three or four life at some point in the game. Um, and so, you know, yeah, maybe having, maybe it's just the way I need to play the matchups and maybe having four Archangel of Wrath is enough. Maybe I need to be more comfortable just jamming those on four mana than I am. Um, but just in my experience, I've felt like I, I have lost a bunch of games where I had four or five cards that did something relevant in my hand, but the thing that they didn't do was prevent my life total from going from three to zero. Yep. No, that's fair. I mean, I, I definitely feel like you want to mix. It was just like, if you are able to stem the early bleeding well enough, like maybe that stabilizes you at a high enough life total. Obviously that's more likely to happen on the play than on the draw, but you are almost certainly right that, I don't know, just like at some point you are going to need a life gain card. And certainly when you get into that specific situation too, knockout blow doesn't necessarily save you, you know? Yeah. Um, The other thing that I've been doing with my list is I don't have any, I don't have any depopulates anywhere right now. I just have lockdowns and sunfalls. Yep. I think that's fine. I think depop is a card that is more so good against like slower creature decks that have a bunch of three drops. And that's not really the world we live in. Um, or, or at least, you know, like blue, black, Esper, whatever will have some, but for the most part, the cards that you care about are the lockdown cards and the rest of your deck is all just pretty good against like three drop mid range stuff. Yeah. Agreed. And having access to lockdown, which hits schooner, I think is, is enough to make me just want it probably more than I would want Depop against blue, black anyway. Yep. And then, so you were talking about treasure map sideboard. Does that mean Beanstalk main still? And then I, do you care about how those cards interact with lockdown at all? I so so it's really interesting you mentioned that because one of the lists that you and I have been going back and forth on, which I, I'm still debating, is a zero beanstalk version that plays some far seeks and fewer herd migrations and sort of just more stopgap stuff in between. Um and, and also has main deck treasure maps in place of the in place of the beanstalks. I think that for the most part you don't care a ton about that interaction. The matchups where the lockdowns are good, they are so good. And if you accidentally nab your own thing or invalidate your own thing, I don't think that matters all that much. And typically the beanstalk or treasure map type cards after sideboard are not in my deck against the decks that the lockdowns are good against. Yep. So I, I suppose it's conceivable. You know, blue black is an example of a matchup where you kind of want a small number of both. I think if I got paired against like one of the blue white artifacts kind of weird grindy decks i would want both but for the most part i think they're mutually exclusive 
Beanstalk is a little bit better because at least you get some value out of it if you have to go Beanstalk into lockdown. Yeah. My experience has mostly been like against Mono Red, for example. I generally don't have the time to play either of the two drop card drawy things anyway. So it's not like I'm ever really locking down my own thing. And if I did, that is probably fine because it's not really a thing that you're relying on to beat them anyway. Uh, you did point out a few matchups like blue black specifically is one where it's like I want as many treasure maps or bean socks as you would possibly give me probably and I want like two lockdowns and they are likely going to be in the deck at the same time and maybe that causes some awkward awkwardness or whatever but if you anticipate like oh if they play uh schooner or schooner I still don't know how to say it I probably should have learned that by now but uh if they play the vehicle and you are anticipating like, oh, if they do do this, I'm going to need an answer and I'm going to have to cast this lockdown. Well, maybe just don't play your treasure map into it. You know, just wait a couple turns. It's fine. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I mean, for the most part, that matchup isn't one where waiting a turn to do your thing is like going to massively punish you. Um, You know, you you might even get rewarded for you know waiting to flip your treasure map and drawing a couple of cards and then having a big turn where you lock down and do something else um so yeah i think i, I think it is a little bit of uh, obviously an awkward interaction but we're also playing standard and the card pool isn't massive and Temporary lockdown is one of the most efficient and high power answers that you can play. And so you just should play it in your deck. Yep. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it is weird that you see like D pops main in a lot of the magic online lists and very few lockdowns main when pretty clearly a lot of the players are respecting mono red because they have things like knockout blow and, and the occasional obstinate bail off and things like that. But it's just like, well, if, if the card you want, or if the deck you want to beat is mono red, like, why aren't you playing the faster sweeper instead of depop? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I honestly think it's, um, I don't know. What's the phrase people use? Brainworms. Is that the right word? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's like it's information just, cascades. Another way to look at it. Yeah. It's just what, it's just what the list has become. And people, haven't really and from what i've been seeing haven't really deviated especially from the 60 card main deck of the domain ramp deck um to to the point that i think i think you and i also both feel that for for proving ground zero rafine's tower is weird given the way the deck's mana is constructed and yet almost everyone has exactly four zero yeah. I like the Rafine's Tower. Uh I, I also feel like with, with Cavern of Souls, you just have more incidental red and black. And I understand that it is more for like leyline binding considerations than for Archangel of Wrath kicker considerations. But I do also feel like there might be too many like kind of black and red sources in the deck for what you need now. And also if binding is two mana, it's not the end of the world, you know? All you care about is whether or not you can cast your spells for the most part. 
Uh, but there, there are a decent amount of lists that are playing like four of the Carnosaur, at which point, obviously, you care about having red mana. So, you know, maybe things are a little bit different there. Yeah, for sure. Um, you, you, it's, I think it's also one of those things where people often don't remember to take into account the way their sideboard is built when they think about how they're building their mana base. So having the extra blue sources for your counter spells, having the extra white sources for more lockdowns and knockout blows in the really fast matchups, I think are, are things that make the proving ground kind of your worst land in a lot of those matchups. And so if you look at just the main deck, it might seem kind of reasonable. And then you realize that your whole sideboard is blue and white cards. Yeah. And it's also weird because the main deck, I mean, I, I guess this is more so a thing with my deck because looking at the stock ones, it's like beanstalk herd migration. I'm, I'm not really on super highly. And then my green cards are like Stomper, Invasion, Atraxa, maybe Glimpse the Core or whatever. Like, I, I don't actually have that many green cards. It's like, I just need to cast Stomper. And then I kind of don't care for the rest of the game, you know? And yeah, a lot of these decks are just like packed with white cards in the board and are skimping on white mana when they shouldn't and they don't have to. Yeah, I think... uh I think a recent list you sent me even had a Brushland floating around. I did, but uh, we we played a Brushland in Dallas, too. I mean, that was like pre-Cavern of Souls, but it's like, I I like Brushland well enough. I, I got no problems with Brushland or the occasional Murex or whatever. You know, if you're doing what I was doing, going up to 27 land because you're down on herd migration, then like those, those lands are completely fine. Yeah, and you know, also if you're if you're trying to print some dollars with the Murex, that'll come in handy. Well, unless you have to buy them for retail now, but yeah, if you are snook, then then it's all good. I I I love it. I I love that. I love that standard is back. I I knew it was back when I went to buy cards from the ramp deck, and my default setting when i order off tcg player is i have tcg player direct checked just because it's easy i I know it's going to ship fast i don't have to worry about it coming in 17 packages yep uh and typically almost everything is available on direct there's like a few big sellers who have hundreds of copies of every card that just sell through it and I just couldn't, I couldn't order my standard cards through that. Like it was all like, I'm going to order one from this one store that has one thing in stock and then one from another one. And it just made me realize that, yeah, like people are out there buying these cards. Yep. I mean, there are other things at play where uh, it is not really a great idea to necessarily crack booster boxes and sell them as singles. because. Also, like, the market is not really there for it in terms of, like, standard stuff. Uh, but yeah. maybe maybe this will get things there, or at least, like, push things in the right direction, you know? Like, I, I certainly want things to get to that point. And to touch on the earlier discourse uh, in terms of, like, language being $4 at the RC in Atlanta, it's just, like, 
I, I don't see the problem with that because I would just be thrilled that they had the card that I wanted because most of the time that has not been the case. It's just like finding the random like depopulate or knockout blow, lithomantic barrage, just like the weirdo cards that you need for your deck that would otherwise prevent you from playing the 75 that you wanted. Uh, like that has been the biggest fear to me, not like, you know, like right now I'm missing three tide binders. It's like, well, I could probably find those, you know. Some of my favorite stories from back in the day are the stories of random commons going for $30 the night before a pro tour. Yeah, my you know, barbarian. the Yavamaya barbarians. Flesh right? bag marauder. Uh, Ural the Miststalker was a mythic rare, but it was not a playable in standard mythic rare and casual slash commander had not really taken over yet. So it meant it was like a bulk mythic. Like little, little did we know. I don't know what is Ural now. Probably a million dollars, but like that card was thirty at the PT. Yeah, which at, in retrospect was probably a good investment, but there was at the time, it was it was kind of a running joke. Right. Oh, okay, so it got it got reprinted in Double Masters, and now it's two dollars. But okay, at its peak. Uh, well, peak in terms of twenty twenty two era, it was twenty dollars. Okay, so still, still not quite PT Honolulu levels, but, yeah. But it, it, a card that was sought after at least, yeah. And then, yeah, there's always the story about like people buying booster packs and trying to spike the things that they need. I mean, that's how majors won a GP with Sphinx's tutelage. I think I've, I've definitely had a few of those. But it was never it was never super dire. It was always like, I'm gonna open the six packs that they give you for free as part of the sleep in special and see if I open the uncommon I need so I don't need to buy it. Um, Fair. But it yeah. it was never it was never desperation. Yeah. I've I've had some desperation moments. I'm not I'm not happy about it. <laughs> what is what is like the one that stands out the most? The card that you've had the most trouble finding for for a big tournament? So the the one that stands out, like the one that I can vividly remember that was semi recent, which when thinking about it, it's like I don't even know why I was going this hardcore for it because a it probably wasn't that good, and b I wasn't really. This is like when I started dropping off from magic, it was like, I clearly did not care very much anymore, but I had busted out of day one of pro tour Barcelona, which was, I think the Hogak PT. And I really wanted to get three set of drifts for my Phoenix deck for like a PTQ or something, or maybe it was a grand prix. I don't know. This is like some side event. And I woke up super early, got to the venue, made sure to go around to like all the vendors. Cause this was like a thing that I thought of, at night after everyone had left or whatever. I'm just like going around all the vendors and a lot of vendors had just like not shown up. Uh, so it's like, I don't know, 11 at this point and they're still just not even there. I'm just like, come on. I just, I want to, you know, give you $5 for a set of drift or whatever, just any amount. But ended up not finding them and then not playing. I played Phoenix in that Pro Tour, which obviously bad choice because Hogak. Um, well, look, I don't, I, I don't think I played, I played Set Adrift. I played Jund 
And I was very happy to switch to Phoenix the next day because I thought it would be way better. Still not good, but way better. It, it, it was, it was probably better. The rough part about playing Phoenix in the Hogak Pro Tour was that one, you weren't playing Hogak, and two, everyone else just had Leyline as a void in their deck. True. Um. So it was they they really they really got you from both ends. No, but see, I have this set of drift that'll <laughs> clearly solve that Leyline problem on turn six. Yeah, should have been a boomerang. Oh, you're so smart, Matt Costa with the boomerang. I was I, I played the boomerang in the previous the previous modern pro tour in Phoenix. Oh, okay. Uh, not not in not in that one. Um, but yeah, the the boomerang the boomerang had its moments. Okay. Uh, what the hell were we talking about? Um, well, I I think I think we should probably talk about your red black deck. I guess. Okay, so. Red Black Ramp, right? Uh, the one that I talked about last week, posted deck lists, uh, I think in the podcast info, but also on the like the links in the socials and stuff, had that in the Discord and everything. And was thinking about it a little bit more. And also, you know, just like poking around, looking at deck lists, seeing what other folks were up to. And I don't know. It's, it still doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of traction here. And like looking at goldfish data from the last 14 days, like Rakdos midrange, the the underdog. I, I guess this deck doesn't even have underdog. But, you know, when I say underdog style deck, you know what I mean. Uh, this is just like all creatures pile of spot removal deck is more popular by quite a bit than the rampy version. Meanwhile, domain ramp is 20% of the winner's metagame. And the Rakdos ramp deck is under 4%, and it absolutely clowns the domain ramp deck. And so now I'm thinking like, okay, if you have a very good domain list or domain matchup, I'm sure we can go about fixing the other issues that it has. Like maybe it has problems with like, you know, Esper midrange or blue-white, specifically things like wedding announcement, whatever. Like these are problems that are solvable. I just need to work on this a little bit more. And the conclusion that I came to was that the the main deck like sweeper stuff is not effective against every single person. And granted, nor do I think the the cards that I am now playing in place of them are. But I think just playing a little bit more spot removal, playing Preacher of the Schism, and playing some Shieldreds like in light numbers, I think is just better than a lot of the sweepers. I'll still keep one burn down the house for cruelty of Gix. Keep a lot of the top end still playing like three cruelty, four Carnosaur, two Atali, one breach to tutor four, couple of Chandras. And in my experience, that has been enough to be good against domain. And then now you also have these cards that are somewhat threatening instead of sweeper cards against domain, which further helps that matchup. Not that you necessarily needed it. And then I think some like gives you more game against mono red, absolutely. But I think probably helps you against the white decks as well. But at the very least, it is freeing up a lot of sideboard slots to attack those matchups. Uh and then because the deck had an Iron Crag and a Celestis, uh, after we recorded, we were talking, and you're just like, Man, I wish Treasure Map was legal. And I was like, But Matt, it is. And you're like, No way. 
And then that's how we got on this treasure map thing. And it was like, all right, let's play it in reanimator. Let's play it in ramp. And uh, it's, it's good. It's still very good. I like it. Yeah, I think I had, I don't know. I must have had a, a moment where I saw a tweet that had a treasure map in it and that got treasure map on my brain, but I didn't put two and two together that it was because it was in the new set. Right. Um, yeah, you haven't opened it limited and it's a weird reprint. It could very easily be in one of the commander decks or whatever. Who knows? Yeah, but I mean, uh, again, kind of a card that is classically good in standard because typically standard decks have sort of like weird, awkward curves because they just play the good cards. So instead of playing the best two mana card, the best three mana card, and the best four mana card, they play a bunch of three mana cards because those are all the best cards. And so you always end up with like one extra mana lying around. At least I feel like that's the way the games play out a lot of the time. And so Treasure Map just sort of really naturally fits into into those paradigms. Um, and yeah, the red-black deck looked really impressive. You continuously beat my ramp deck before we hopped on the pod uh i think the only games i won were games where you didn't play your third land and you have 27 lands in your deck well i do now i was playing 26 <laughs> lesson learned um yeah and and i'm also you know i can see a world where some of the wedding announcement decks are a little challenging but at the same time Wedding announcement is the type of card that gets pushed out of these formats when going big and over the top is effective. Like that's usually kind of a good, a good grindy card against people that are looking to play a long game but don't have cards that cost seven in their deck. Yep. Because you play an Atali, you play a Carnosaur, you play an Atraxa, and that is mostly able to ignore some slightly buffed one ones. Yeah, just need to not die in the meantime, not get nickel and dimed out. And we have plenty of tools to do that. We just have to figure out kind of the right configuration. And I think we'll be fine. Yeah, I like I like the Preacher Shieldred version of doing that. I think that makes a lot of sense to me um, because, you know, you the awkward part about Brotherhood's End in a deck with uh, high curve like yours is it's if it's not effective to play on turn three you're probably going to use your mana every turn for the rest of the game and end up with this dead card whereas you can put the preacher into play if you have three mana on turn three and it's going to have an impact on the game um in a spot where you know maybe brotherhood's end like kills one of their two things you don't really want to play it. yep yeah i mean brotherhood's end like on the play, just in almost any game, unless you're playing against mono red specifically, it's like you're not necessarily gonna cast it. And then you'd much prefer to have Preacher in that scenario. And also Preacher is just a card they played in the sideboard to bring in against these decks anyway. And I also think it is arguable whether or not Preacher or Brotherhood's End is better against Mono Red. So I was just like, look, let's let's just try this, free up some sideboard slots, see what we can do with it. And I, I part of it was also because I don't think the deck 
needs the field of ruin, demolition field, sunken citadel stuff. Because yes, it does things against the domain ramp decks, but it was never a thing that had any impact on who won or lost the game. I agree. I think ironically, the land destruction package is not there for the five color mana ramp deck and is instead there for the weird low to the ground Esper decks that happen to only have one basic. Yeah, and I, I do agree with that. I think that if Esper maintains its popularity, which I kind of doubt for basically all the stuff that you said about wedding announcement, like just decks like this inevitably kind of get pushed out. And especially I'm seeing that they're they're pretty slow to adopt just playing four Tidewinders too. So I think that combination of things will probably lead to them getting unseated as one of the more popular decks. Could certainly be wrong about that, but uh, if it doesn't happen, at least in the short term, and you're really locked into playing Rakdos, you love Cruelties of Gix as much as I do, then yeah, the Field of Rune stuff is probably the best way that you can go about attacking them but the original versions only played like six and i would want to be a little bit heavier if you could so seven and again if you're really trying to hard target esper consider the eighth try it out see how bad it is on the mana etc yeah the the other nice thing about avoiding playing field is that you won't accidentally get your field tidebinder True. I mean, I do have a lot of juicy Tidebinder targets, but that would certainly be a feel bad, especially because a lot of the games were like, oh, I just need to get to land five. Okay, you get to land five. Okay, I need to get to land six, you know? And then if if that doesn't happen, those were the games I was losing, right? Like those games were just lost. Yeah, I mean, we we played a game earlier today where it was like pretty clearly right for you to cruelty tutor for your sixth land yeah i think so too it was it was a hard pill to swallow though you know um and it wasn't because you were casting a six drop i think you cast like a three a two and a one or something like that uh it it was a two and a four so like yeah it was one of the cards was big score right so like in theory i'm gonna have like a bunch of mana or whatever but realistically with a deck like that you want to have access to seven mana pretty consistently over like this three turn stretch where you're doing big things and pulling really far ahead. And if you just stay at five lands, sack all your treasures, play your seven drop, that's not enough to carry you across the finish line. Then you're kind of sunk. And I was just like, yeah, I guess I just, I get land six and like big score develop from here. And it was certainly way smoother than any Avenue where, I, I big score, brick, don't get to play the two-drop removal spell I wanted to play that turn, you know? It just all goes downhill. I I mean, honestly, standard format, you're allowed to play 27 lands. Sounds, sounds like a pretty good place to be. I do like it. Especially because there are cool and interesting lands. You have, you have, like, choices. And, like, you don't feel as punished necessarily for playing a lot of lands. Like, oh, I flooded out and had nothing to do. Well, now you have the legendary lands. Uh, You have, like, Myrix can 
fit into a lot of places. You have all the creature lands and stuff, cavernous souls. Like you get to actually make good, fun, interesting decisions when building these mana bases too. Yeah, I think that's the other thing that that we were talking about a bit before, which was potentially slotting some creature lands into into domain. Oh yeah. Because the the threats after Atraxa and Angel are are not that impressive. And just having them be part of your mana base feels like a good way to add a little bit of threat density with your to your deck without having to play some bad cards. Yeah, and when you, you get in those spots in the mirror match where you don't want to really press the issue and uh, just get everything swept up by a Sunfall, which is usually a card that is just kind of rotting in their hand the entire game until it's suddenly relevant, right? And it would be really nice to be able to present like a small-ish threat or two and it's not enough to necessarily get them to commit to sweeping the board, but when... Like, if they don't, then it's like, okay, well, now fire up, like, my 4-4 or 5-5 creature land and, like, attack you for, you know, 10-plus. Or they they are forced to sweep the board because they don't want to get attacked by those three creatures, you know? So, I don't know. I think I think it helps a lot. Obviously, there are concerns with Leyline Binding and whatnot and just having more ETB tap lands in general. Uh, I think we talked about before, like, messing around with, like, one copy of Spelunking. I think that that's pretty reasonable, too. But... For for my list, playing fewer herd migrations and just playing more actual lands, it's not much of a downside. Yeah, I I think there I think there's a lot more room to play around with how to build the ramp deck than than the sock lists indicate. I think that having a little bit of additional spot removal in the main deck is kind of nice. Um, a get lost toyed around with a destroy evil things like that um also i mean we're talking about the creature lands right the stock domain deck i think has zero ways to interact with the creature land yeah zero i'm like block it that's all they have right so you know and if it's the vine stock that is kind of hard to block effectively um so yeah i think uh I, i think there's some tension there and as as the sweepers like depopulate maybe become less important i think you can lean a little bit have more heavily on spot removal something like three sunfall two lockdown and a couple of extra spot removal spells feels like a a reasonable and maybe slightly less clunky way to to set up your interaction um you know frankly like i don't feel like i've played a lot of games recently where I was like relying on Sunfall and it was the best card in my deck and really important to draw. Like those those matchups are similarly getting pushed out a little bit. Yeah, it's basically what I talked about in regards to depopulate where it's like if people are playing slower mid-range decks with like a lot of three and four drops, stuff like Golgari, that is the place where you want your Sunfalls, you know? And it's really hard to get away from Sunfall when you're locked into Beanstalk. And it was incredibly liberating to just get the, rid of the Beanstalks entirely for treasure maps. Be like, do I actually need her, Herd Migration? Like, is this a card I want? Or is it a card that's in my deck simply because it is 
reasonably conducive to what I'm trying to do while also triggering Beanstalk. And a lot of the same could be said for Sunfall, where it's like, we could just go back to playing like Depops and temporary lockdowns, like the more efficient sweepers, but like you have to get rid of Beanstalk first. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Beanstalk is is the so-called sacred cow here, except I think it's far, far from necessary, although it might it might still be the direction I end up going for this weekend because I'm I'm just not a hundred percent sure how I want to build the non-beanstalk version yet. It's like once no, you same. cut that card, there's so many different ways to go. And I don't I don't feel super confident in which one is right. But I would not be surprised if by the end of the season, the best ramp deck doesn't play any beanstalks and people have figured out something, uh, a different and more clever way to build it. So now that you have Cavern of Souls, and I'm, I'm trying to approach it from like the blue-black or Esper side of things, and my counter spells do not necessarily stop your angels anymore, I still want some amount of negates in my sideboard because it is one of the easiest ways to get a tempo advantage against them is to sort of price them into playing a very expensive sweeper and then stopping it for only two mana, you know? And it's like that that stuff is much harder to do when you get away from Beanstalk and just have a much lower curve. You have access to some spot removal. You know, your sweeper doesn't cost five, things like that. And it is somewhat worrisome from the blue black side of things but uh i do think for week one you are best served by just playing kind of like the in a vacuum strongest version of this deck while also making considerations for you know other ramp decks and maybe like a little bit of the rise of blue black i i don't think you should have any reason to feel like Rakdos Reanimator is going to be popular, at least not yet. No, I I, I doubt it. I, I think looking at Google <laughs> Google Photos pictures of the store I'm playing at, my guess is it capped at 24 people. Um so it'll be I would be surprised if more than two of those people are playing Rakdos Ramp. Also gotta and, say Rectus Ramp, kind of expensive deck. A lot of mythics. Yeah, a lot of mythics and a lot of and a lot of cards that if you didn't know about Rakdos Ramp until last weekend, or maybe this podcast inspires you to try it, uh not not gonna be super easy to to come upon some of those. I picked up the stuff that I was missing last weekend. And among those were three copies of Atali Primal Conqueror. And, yeah, those are pretty close to 20 bucks, you know, and that's just like one silly dinosaur. Did you get the one that looks like a dinosaur or the one that looks like a gold coin? Oh, I got the normal looking ones. Do you like the okay. coin ones? No, not a fan. Okay. Um, they remind, remind me of Captain Lannery Storm. Oh yeah. Uh but yeah, I don't know. I just I I, don't, I feel like I don't spend that much time <laughs> in the magic art discourse, but I uh, I know I know people have their strong opinions about the gold coin Atali. I didn't know that. 
I just, yeah. I, I prefer the regulars and they happen to have them, but I would have taken whatever they wanted to sell me, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I picked up, I picked up two of each art of treasure map because I couldn't, I couldn't find four of one. Um, and I, I regret this, but I, the only Bozeju that was in stock was a foil one and I bought it and I got home and it was like super curved. Yeah. So I'm, I probably am not going to register Bozeju this weekend because I, I don't think I, I don't think it's actually playable. <laughs> I don't know, man. Put so, some, put some books on top of it. See where you end up. Yeah. I am, I am in my office with a, a nice bookshelf behind me. So maybe I'll, I'll stick it in there for, when we get off the pod and see if it's ready by Sunday. Double sleeve, perfect hards. You'll all your cards will feel like curved foils at that point. You'll never know. Yeah. Uh what what do you feel about this Bant Poison deck? Because that's another sort of deck where yeah, Sunfall looks pretty embarrassing. Yeah, so I I have not actually played against it yet. Me either. What I have heard is that it is very good against ramp. I believe that. Um which which I do believe um you know it's I don't know that the mana maybe looks like it could be a little bit awkward but it does have a bunch of fast lands and pain lands um I don't know it's 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 super interesting um I, I don't know if it has staying power. It feels it feels like a little bit more like a scissors type deck where it might be specifically good against domain ramp. Um, but as compared to something like blue black, which is probably just a good deck that happens to have a good ramp matchup. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean we had we ha- I, I I had some readers when I was looking at the list. Um the augury serum snare like some some pretty weird cards that i hadn't thought about in a while yeah i i played a decent amount of this limited format and i believe this is originally like a ken yukihiro special from tournaments many seasons ago like when this was the new set got it i also i also love uh like i have the deck pulled up on goldfish right now and it's labeled as Bant Poison. Yeah. But there is only one card in the entire deck with a green mana symbol in it, and it costs one. Yep. Um, so uh that's I don't know. That is that is a sign, in my opinion, of like uh, <laughs> a deck that's actually pretty well thought out. Like you you have to have really tried to come to this conclusion. Yeah, 12 green sources. Uh, out of 22 land, which is not a lot, but I don't know, for for only four cards, that is reasonable to me, and there's not a whole lot else you could add, really, unless you're trying to add more lands, and I don't think you really want the fourth Murex, nor does it necessarily solve that problem every time. In fact, it probably just creates more problems for you, so. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it. it I think... I I will be scared if I get paired against Bant Poison this weekend. Um, and I'm hopeful that there's a couple of mono red players in the room who are set up to take out the poison players before yeah. I have to face them. Yep, block for me, please. 
Yeah, exactly. Or or maybe I can just afford one loss. True. Yeah. Well, I mean, you need to block at some point in the top eight, you know? Yeah. So the, the interesting thing, I, I think, is just that we've spent, you know, the last 30 minutes talking about standard. We've, every deck we've talked about <laughs> we're saying has a good ramp matchup or is scary from the ramp side. And you're like, and I'm playing ramp. And I'm playing ramp. And I don't, I'm not, I don't feel bad about it. No. Um, so here's the thing is that we are identifying things that are good against the best deck, right? And certainly not every person listens to this podcast. And even the ones that do might listen and think we're full of shit or whatever like who knows um or just like look i own esper cards and this shit is expensive and it's going to be useless in two months right so for for whatever reason uh like that's that's fine i don't expect the metagame to change overnight and i still think for at least the early weeks ramp is a pretty good choice and even to that point i'm just like yeah maybe if you're not 100% sure on some things, like stick with the stock list. I think that is mostly fine too. But that's just where we are. If I if there was some indicator where it's like, oh, everyone's going to have four Tidebinders and also there's a lot of Poison decks and Rakdos Randomers, it's like, yeah, okay, don't play it then. But I don't think that's the world we live in. No, it's not. And, you know, the the way I, I think, I think this is going to be one of those formats where, even if there is a week where it's wrong to play ramp because it, you know, the the hate and or just the overall matchup density is is simply too much for it. Um, what is going to happen immediately after that week is everyone is going to overcorrect and then it's gonna you're gonna want to play ramp again. Yep. Um, as soon as you, as soon as you watch people start, you know the. The more wraths are leaking their way back into the deck, or you know, someone shows up with like a removal heavy Rakdos deck with a bunch of torch the towers to fight poison. Like all of a sudden, it's like okay, well, I I'm gonna feast on those people with ramp. Yeah, and I think that'd be a good call, and like may come to fruition on something like magic online where a lot of the people who are heavily enfranchised either are buying the token or have like a card hoarder subscription or something you know and can very easily switch decks on a whim but that is not the case in real life when we're talking about $500 decks $400 decks and metagame may be slow to change you know who knows yeah and it's a long season uh, you know, I, w- I went to went down to the local store today to pick up some cards, and their second standard RCQ is like mid to late March. So you know, we will have two modern tournaments, a trip to an RC, and a pro tour in between those things, and then and then there's another standard RCQ. Yep. No, oh, that's fair. So I mean, if you have a bunch of shots and you know you you have the money or friend group or whatever where you're able to switch decks then cool but i think most people are just like i got to commit to something and i don't know mono red is under 100 dollars so let's go 
I'm I'm a I'm a bit jealous of Dave because uh, a few weeks ago he uh, and maybe it was a little longer than that. He he was having some friends over. I think it was the weekend that we were all at the RC and he was home because maybe the baby was coming. And he went and just bought a, all the Sander decks so that him and some friends could play and watch coverage of the RC. And so he ended up making out like a bandit because he bought the entire format for $500. Oh, wow. And now, and, and so I don't know if he has, he might have all the Gixes and everything already. Oh, yeah. Yo, Dave, mail me some Gixes or go play some RCQs with Matt. One of the two. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if we can get him. I, I mean, I would, if he's going to come out to play Magic, I would much rather him him choose to come to SCG Hartford than a random RCQ. Wait, are you telling me that that is still a choice? Is he maybe not going to go? Oh, he better come. I, yeah, we, I, I, we haven't I, talked about it, but I, I imagine he's you're coming, so I yeah. imagine he's coming. I thought it was a lock, and if it's not a lock, I'm going to be very sad. It should be. I was asking... Um, I was asking him the other day about um, if there was a specific type of Red Bull that you drank, so I could make sure my fridge is stocked with it when you get here. Uh, so I love um, you. I feel like I feel like his answer to that uh, made it made it seem like he was probably coming because he said we both drink regulars. Uh, well, no, but he was just he was just very very quick to answer. I forget. I think maybe he said it might have said something to the effect of like. If if he doesn't drink it, I'll drink it or something. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, okay, then, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about Red Bull, but I guess regular. Just you're just stressing me out, man. Just <laughs> saying things kind of flippantly, like, "Oh yeah, maybe Dave might not go or whatever." I'm just like, no, no, no. I I I think let's let's keep him coming to Hartford and not distract him with some RC case. Oh, but what if we could do both though? See, this is what he's been trying to do to me. I think I think it is fair that I try and get him back and try yeah. to make him play more magic, you know? I agree. I don't know. It's a little bit different. It's not like I have a new kid or anything. I don't really have an excuse. So I get his point of view. Yeah, it's not it's not for it's not for lack of motivation on his his part. Because yeah. I know I, I I know when I log in uh you know to to discord at 10 p.m and he's playing arena or whatever it's because that's what he's that's what he's doing while while he's on baby duty yep and also he just likes the game yeah so uh last thing since we didn't talk about it very much uh do you have any thoughts on blue black is that like occupied any of your brain space within the last week or not really I I've spent a lot of time thinking about how I might want to approach the matchup from the ramp side. Okay. Um which I feel like has been most of the lens I've been taking with Sander for the past week. Like I I am committed to being the bad guy this weekend and so I'm I'm thinking through that lens. Uh and, and frankly like I I 
I did a scryfall search for all different kinds of uncounterable creatures that I could put into play with Cavern of Souls. <laughs> uh, and there, there wasn't anything that stood out to me as from the ramp side as like a silver bullet for approaching that matchup. I think it's more just about finding a way to to lower your curve and and meet them a little bit more where they're at. You know um, what? I I since we started playing those games of Rakdos, I just immediately forgot about the ramp stuff and I forgot about the card I added to my ramp sideboard and was going to try. Oh, the the Blastoderm? Yeah. Okay, so Matt Matt starts telling me about his his scryfall search for just trying to find was it Colonian something? Yeah, a Colonian behemoth, which is what I what I use to describe like any any big I don't know maybe Carnage Tyrant would have been a better allegory. Well, yeah. So I guess Tyranax Rex is like uncounterable already. I don't know if that solves your problem because it's also a lot of mana. No, I, I can make things uncounterable. They need to be, they need to be sticky and effective when they're in place. The no, problem. I mean this this one has like ward four haste, I think trample. Does it cost seven? I think so. Kind of a lot. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying, but it it is it is big and I don't know, whatever. So anyway, like a lot of the stuff I was like, oh what about uh Averbrook Caretaker? It's like this six mana werewolf. Uh, that is a 4-4 with hexproof that also does some other cool stuff. And the thing that we quickly realize is like a lot of these creatures that are hexproof also have things that are triggered abilities, which means that they can tidebinder them and then kill them. <laughs> yeah, it's like having having anything other than hexproof is a downside. Yeah, it's like, no, I just want, I want the actual Colonian behemoth. I just want shroud, nothing else. Like, I am good. Man, like and trample would be nice, you know. But uh, to that end, I stumbled across Evolve Spinoderm, which is the silly Blastoderm thing, where like you can cavern souls it out. If it has, it starts with four counters. If it has three or four counters, it does have hexproof, so you at least get a shot in for five, you know. And then the shields are down. It also does have the upkeep trigger of remove a counter, so you have that awkward interaction where they can tide binder it and then kill it, but. I don't know that you're spending like a four mana card to get a tide binder and a kill spell out of their hands. Like the tide binder I'm more concerned about than just the removal spell, but like maybe that's not that bad, honestly. And then I was thinking about other applications where it's like, I'll just bring that in against mono red as a blocker, bring it in against green black, kind of the same deal. Maybe it's good. Yeah, I think I mean I think if you if you had enough things that happen before Atraxa that demand a Tidebinder, that's another way to play the matchup, is just overwhelm overwhelm their Tidebinders with things so that it increases the likelihood that when you get to Atraxa, they don't have one lying around. Yeah. And um, I think that is, that's more likely against people who are skimping on those effects and also like people who are not necessarily blue-black and don't have air tie like my my deck has seven and i don't think i would go below seven and i've seen a lot of lists that have like five even when they're blue black so i think that plan is pretty good against them yeah i'm i mean i i was skeptical of the spinoderm 
still a little skeptical, but I, I think it's definitely worth trying. It is kind of cute that if they do tide binder the upkeep trigger, it no longer ca- like you it no longer is a blasted term. Yeah, so just five five that's chilling. Right. Attacking every turn. They like they they are they are gonna have to kill it. Yeah. So it sounds like probably not it's probably not a particularly effective <laughs> thing to tide binder. Um but uh yeah I think those are the types of lengths I've been thinking about to approach the blue-black matchup. I also, I do like the treasure maps there because one, like you, again, you, the ideal game is actually just for the game to turn into sort of this slow plotting game. And, you know, you get to try to do the classic threats against counters thing where you like choose a window to try to overwhelm them um which is a really hard thing to do when you have seven drops but treasure map helps you kind of get that like burst of mana all in one turn if you try to like play a thing flip your map and then maybe the next turn you have a traxa with tide binder up and that's enough to to fight through whatever they have um so i think i think treasure map is a really interesting solution to the way those games play yeah i also think that uh, like while beanstalk is probably reasonably solid against blue black especially because it's such low opportunity cost you know i do think that those are the types of matchups where you have to shave your more expensive cards too so that is kind of what leads me down this path of like well maybe treasure map is just better in the aggregate you know if if your opponent has beanstalks and say like Jace perfected mind and you have treasure map tide binder. I think you're still winning, but obviously you could just get buried by beanstalk and not really be able to do anything. And especially if they have a way to answer your treasure map, you know, then you're, you're definitely not going to keep up with them on cards unless you are very good at like ramping, having a track. So, you know, then it probably doesn't matter, but I, I think I think the mirror starts with whoever has the most tidebinders and then goes from there. Yeah, I would imagine so. Um and so that's that's where I would start. I think if people come to that conclusion and all of your mirror opponents have a lot of tidebinders, I agree that the beanstalk stuff sounds a little bit better. Uh this might be a good week to get the edge with Tidebinder, um, but I, I think that's probably going to, people are probably going to figure that out pretty quickly. I agree. And in in the meantime, I don't know, you have like two main, two board, and a relatively like stock successful list that is prepared for the mirror, which according to the numbers is the most popular deck. So I do like your spot. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I do too. I hope I hope it's a one and done season for me. Those are always nice, but I wonder if you winning immediately lessens the chance that Dave will come out and play. I I I think I think Snook said that he's gonna play RCQs the next three weeks. So I think he's he's your hook if you wanna get yeah. if you wanna get Dave going. You're you're right. I think that you are more convincing, even though Snook is like 
closer proximity probably yeah that yeah. that 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 might be true um i have uh i have i have some life commitments the next couple of weeks um uh a really good friend is moving down to north carolina after living up here for a bunch of years so we're gonna go we're going to like a going away party the following weekend so that'll that'll kill any chances of rcqing two weeks from now fair all right well uh you know keep us updated and everything uh do you have do you have any idea who i'm gonna be podcasting with next week because i don't i i (laughs) Based on how tired it seems like Dave is, All right. I'm, guessing, I'm guessing it's going to be me, but we'll yeah. see. We'll, we'll be seeing you next week then. All right. Maybe we'll ease him back in. No, it's fine. Let him rest. I mean, unless unless you're looking to dip, that's fine. No, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I've been having a blast. Uh, I, the fact the fact that this is in some ways sort of temporary now that I've been doing it for a couple weeks in a row is like a little, I don't oh, know, a, no. little, a little disappointing. So we'll, we'll have to find some ways to, to keep me involved. Even if I'm not, uh, even if I'm not a, a regular participant deal, like dude, twist my arm. Oh no. Uh, I, I already joked a couple of times where it's like, oh, I guess it's just like when Dave comes back, it's your guys' podcast. Now I'm just leaving. Yeah. But you do all the work. It is true. <laughs> Dave and I have it easy. We 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 get to play magic and show up and talk about magic. And that yeah. is that is the extent of the organizational responsibilities. Look, everyone's got a number, you know? I'm just saying. Uh but yeah, I mean I will I, I would I will enjoy and love to stay involved and we'll we'll figure out what the right way to do that is. Cool. All right. Uh, that, that actually sounds great. I'm I'm glad that you're enjoying it. I'm glad that it's like, oh, I, I don't want it to end. Like, this is actually kind of cool. Yeah, it's fun. I also bought the mic. So like, it feels kind of official. <laughs> well, now I have your Venmo address from Atlanta. So, uh, that, that mic is going to pay for itself. You'll see. <laughs> I think I, I'll find, I'll find a way to get some other use out of it too. I think if I, I think if I weren't concerned about looking pretentious, I would start using it at work too because it's so nice. But um, I, I don't. I think people might be like, "What is this guy doing?" Do you just, just do it. It like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I get on those calls with people, and I'm just like, "How is your setup so bad?" But like, I also exist in this universe where I know the types of things that are available and that people could buy and use, and uh. I also know that like if my setup is heinous, I know what it sounds like to the person on the other end. And I am sympathetic to that. Whereas I think other people are just like, I'm talking, you can technically hear me, right? And they're just like, yeah, I guess, man, whatever. And they're just like, all right, cool. I sound great. It's like, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> so I, I promise you, if you use the good mic and everything, people will be happier. They won't judge you. All right, I'll I'll ex- I'll experiment with some some tweaks to the setup. All right, game. Good luck.